In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 37, from verse 21 to the end of the psalm. This psalm discusses the issue of the prosperity of the wicked and how many people stumble when they see the wicked are prosperous and the righteous actually suffer in, the, in their life. This is not the only psalm that discussed this issue, but this is Psalm 37. If you flip it, it will be 73. So the other Psalm is 73, just to memorize it, 37 and 73, and also Psalm 49. These three Psalms discuss the prosperity of the wicked. Usually Psalms are uh, prayers to God, but this Psalm has no prayer to God. It is just an instruction to us. Uh, so it is a Psalm of wisdom. When you read it, you feel like you are reading the book of uh, Proverbs. So it is not a prayer, but it is an instruction to us. So let's start from verse 21. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. So David knew the difference between the wicked and the righteous. This difference is not only found in what they believe and in whom they trust. The wicked believe in money and trust in the riches. The righteous believes in God and rely on God. But this is not only this is not the only difference between the wicked and righteous, but also the difference in their conduct. The wicked are taker. They borrow and do not repay. This is one of the characteristics of the wicked. Their lack of trustworthiness. You cannot trust them. They will borrow money from you and you lend them, but they will never repay. They are people who borrow and do not pay back what is owed. But the righteous is not a taker. The righteous is giver, full of mercy. Why the wicked are takers? Because sin leads a person to selfishly take from others. But godliness and the fear of God encourage charity and kindness. That's why the righteous are giver. Verse 22, For those blessed by him, blessed by God, shall inherit the earth. But those cursed by God, by him, shall be cut off. So the promise of earth inheritance is repeated for the third time. From verse 1 to 20, it was repeated twice. And St. Augustine said, the earth here is not the earth in which we are living, but it is the promised land. 
You know, in the book of Revelation, you read, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So according to St. Augustine, this earth is the promised land. So this is the blessing for the righteous. They will inherit the kingdom of God. While the wicked find themselves cursed by God and cut off, So, it may seem that the righteous have nothing here on earth when they actually have everything because they have God. And they can make others rich according to what St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, as poor, yet making many rich, not uh, materialistically, but rich when they have peace, when they have contentment. Because what is the definition of a rich person? When he has how much you call him rich. But the true richness, when you are content with what you have. That's why St. Paul said, we are poor as poor, yet making many rich as having nothing, but possessing all things. Because they possess the grace and the blessing of God. If we possess the grace of God and the blessing of God, then I have everything. As we read in the Psalm 73, with you, I desire nothing from the earth. The righteous who follow God can look forward to dwell in the promised land while the cursed by him, the wicked, and those who deny God will never inherit the promised land. Then from verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. He, God, delight in the way of the righteous. So from verse 23, David begins to relate God's providence in regard to the just. Why? Because some of the righteous people, when they see the prosperity of the wicked, they envy them. And they say, there is something wrong with us. We pray, we fasted, we, we kept the fear of God, godliness, but at the end we have nothing. So, David wants actually to support these people and to confirm them in their faith because he was afraid lest the prosperity of the wicked may tempt them to commit sin. That's why he said the reward of the righteous is not only in the age to come, but in the present life, God guides the steps of a good man which means God is in control of the life of the righteous man because they trusted their life with God. Not only that, but the Lord delights in the path of righteous man. So another great and present benefit of the righteous man that that he knows that God delights in his way. I'm sure any of us, when we see, for our boss in the work, 
delights in my work. This makes us happy. How much more when we know that God is delighted with our way. Verse 24. Though he fall, so the righteous man doesn't mean he never fall. He might fall. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. The Lord upholds him with his hand. So surely a righteous man may stumble, even fall. But the Lord will protect him. He shall not be utterly cast down. This is not because of his own internal strength or goodness, but because God upholds him. God can keep those who submit to him from sin, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So the temptations that we are exposed to you, actually any person in the world also is exposed to the same temptation. But God is faithful to the righteous who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, and as you know, temptation usually in the Bible means temptation to commit sin. So even when Satan actually tempts us to commit sin, God actually will protect us. He will never allow Satan to tempt us beyond what we can bear. But at the end, we may choose, uh, we may choose by ourselves to listen to Satan. Uh, if those who obey God and His commandments do stumble by their own free will, also the Lord is able to restore them. We read in the Bible, the righteous may fall seven times, but the Lord will raise him up. Also, it is our responsibility, as we read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if we see a believer stumble into sin, we have a duty to restore that believer in a spirit of gentleness. But while we are doing this, we should keep, we should keep watch on ourselves, lest we too are tempted as we read in Galatians 6, verse 1. Verse 25, I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Why the psalmist mentioned his age here, that he is old, and as we said uh, before, actually, some scholars said he wrote this psalm three years before his departure, before his death. 
So why he mentioned his age? To bring attention to what he is about to say, that this is founded upon a long experience and observation of things. He is giving us the experience of his life. He noted in all his life that God cared for those who trusted in him, those who walked in his righteousness. So David, seeing God's faithfulness to his people, wanted the younger generation also to trust in God, learning from the wisdom of of David and his experience. The righteous is not forsaken, and their descendants or his descendants also blessed. But the point here in verse 25 doesn't mean that the righteous will never experience poverty or hardship or even death. Definitely not. But the meaning here is the context of recovery. As we read in verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So the meaning here is the recovery. And in the Sermon on the Mountain, the Lord told us, why do you worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear? God provides sufficiently for his people. If he takes care of the birds of the air, wouldn't he take care of us? So believers should not worry about what they should eat or drink or wear. Because their heavenly Father is aware of our need and has promised to meet it. But I want you to notice that this provision is not always according to what we prefer or what we expect, but it is according to the perfect will and economy of God. Verse 26. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. As I told you, the righteous is always, always a giver. But the point here when he said he is ever merciful and lends means not only in the time of prosperity, but also in the times of famine and need. The righteous not only receives God's provision during this time of famine and need, but with a generous and merciful heart, he lends to others in need. We read in the letters of St. Paul that some people give generously to the extent they became poor. And St. Paul made a comment on this. He said, like God, who, although he is rich, but he came, became poor for our sake. So David, again, observed the generosity is a sign of a righteous man. The righteous person generally speaking, experience the growth of his income and positions because of the blessing of God when he gives generously. The more you give, the more God will bless you. As we read in Luke chapter 6, 38, give. That was as the Lord Jesus said. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. 
For with the same measure that you use, if you give generously, it will be measured back to you. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Verse 27. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. So after he explained all the promises of God to the righteous, David is telling them, then don't be tempted when you see the prosperity of the wicked. No. Now, having all these glorious promises, don't do any evil or unjust thing or try to enrich yourself or to secure self. Because the choice between evil and good has everlasting consequences. So don't be tempted or envy the wicked or follow their way. Always, always depart from evil. The choice between good and evil is tied with dwell forevermore. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. So, and here David says not only to depart from evil, but to practice good work. St. Augustine said, Do not think that you do good if you do not rub somebody's clothes. Yes, by that you depart from evil. But it is befitting of you not to stop at that level without giving fruit. For what is greater than not rubbing somebody's clothes is to clothe a naked man. Depart from evil and do good. So, why, when I depart from evil and do good, I will dwell forevermore? The answer, because God loves justice. As we read in verse 28, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his sins. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. So David reminds us of the Lord's love of justice and his faithfulness to the righteous. God who loves justice will not allow the wicked and their children to continue and prevail. God is faithful to his children, to his sins, and does not forsake them. St. Augustine says, When the sins suffer affliction, Think not that God does not judge or does not judge righteously. Will he who warns us or warns you, thee, to judge righteously, himself judge unrighteously? If God asked us to to judge righteously, so God himself will not judge righteously? Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land. That's the first time he says about inheriting it. And dwell in it forever. So once again, David assured the believers that God promises to keep those who come to him in faith with an absolute guarantee. Even in the Gospel of St. John, the Lord Jesus Christ said, and I will give them eternal life, 
and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And why we say the land here means uh, the promised land? Because he said, and dwell in it forever. And we know this earth will not exist forever. So when he said the land, the land refers to the promised land, refers to the kingdom of God, of heaven. So the righteous person knows that God promised him the eternal life. Do not fear, little flock, because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. Why? The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Since the law of God is in his heart, and out of the abundance of heart the mouth speaks, that's why the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice, because the law of his God is in his heart. And another blessing, having the law of God in his heart, none of his steps shall slide. So the righteous person knows when to speak and when to watch. When to watch what they say. As we read in Proverbs 10:19, and the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. So we know when we speak and when we keep silent. The righteous speak wisdom and justice. The ability to communicate through wisdom comes from the knowledge of God. The righteous loves the word of God and has it in his heart. So the, his conversation is naturally seasoned with wisdom because he has the law of his God in him is in his heart. You know, when you read the Magnificent of St. Mary, you will find her prayer, my soul magnifies the Lord, actually is, is quotes from the Old Testament, mainly from the prayer of Hannah, mother of Samuel. So, and St. Mary was a poor person. She didn't have her own uh, manuscript. But from attending the temple and being in the temple and hearing the reading, she memorized the word of God. So the word of God, the law of God was in his heart, in her heart. So when we opened her mouth, she actually spoke and praised God by verses from the scripture. The righteous have the commandments of God before them, that they may not offend by their tongue, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And because of this knowledge of the word of God, and because of the reliance upon God's word, none of his steps shall slide. So there are two facts here associated as a cause effect. The first fact, they have the law of God in their heart. And because of this, the effect that prevents his sliding or going astray. Verse 32. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. 
So David's personal experience, I'm sure you know how David was chased by King Saul and by his son Absalom. So his personal experience taught him that there is intense conflict between the wicked and the righteous. So when he made this remark about the blessing that God gave to the righteous, David did not think it means the life of the righteous would be easy. No hardships, no trials. No. One danger continually faced uh, face David and faced the righteous is from the wicked people who hate the righteous even without cause. Or maybe they hate the righteous because the righteous are reproached to them. So David, in his long-lasting conflict, he learned that there is always, always conflict between good and evil. And the evil world system is under the rule of the devil. That's why oppose God's righteous people. The wicked people carefully observe what the righteous say and what they they do in order to slay them. And sometimes slaying, not necessarily to kill them physically, slaying can be in form of character assassination. We see nowadays how people lying in wait to catch any righteous person with a word. And then they twist this word and then they attack the character on, on the social media. It's a form like character assassination. They are lying in wait to, as we read in the Bible, they were lying in wait to catch the Lord Jesus Christ with a word. Many people are doing this right now and take the word, twist it, and attack, and as if they is slaying this person. So yes, on earth, the wicked may find a way to falsely accuse a righteous person and bring them to trial. They did this with our Lord Jesus Christ. But we should know, we are not at the mercy of the wicked. As we read in verse 33, the Lord will not leave him, the righteous, in his hand, in the hand of the wicked, nor condemn him when he is judged. And the Lord will not allow the righteous to be condemned when he is judged. So we are not at the mercy of the wicked. God will protect the godly, particularly in the ultimate judgment in the last day. In the ultimate judgment of all things, believers will be justified while the wicked who rejected God will be condemned. Verse 34, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. This is the fifth time in this psalm to say to inherit the land. Wait on the Lord, keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. So for the fifth time in this psalm, David promised the people of God that 
they would inherit the land. And we explained the land, it is the promised land. So if we trust and obey as his servants, the just, the righteous, will be exalted by the Lord and will dwell in the promised land. And the way to achieve victory when the enemy attacks us is to wait on the Lord, to act and to keep his way. God will act. God will defend his people. Those who honor God should not seek revenge. Don't avenge yourself. Because the Lord said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, 18. Don't rush into anger. Because the anger of man does not meet the righteousness of God. When all sinners condemned by the judgment of God, you will see the glory of divine justice displayed therein. That's why he said, when the wicked are cut off, that's in the ultimate judgment, you shall see it. Then you will praise God for his divine justice. Verse 35, I have seen, so another personal experience, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. He saw King Saul, how King Saul actually prospered. But what happened? Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. So David once again relied on his personal experience and testimony. He had seen in his life wicked people rise to great security and success. And he gave us the metaphor of a tree that seems to be firmly grounded and immovable. But what happened passed away and have become no more. So in vain the wicked seek the glory of this world but they will perish together with their glory. He said, yet he passed away. At once, on a sudden, either his riches and his honor passed away, or the person himself passed away by death in the midst of all his prosperity. While while the wicked blessing himself in in prosperity, his soul was required of him. David said, I sought him. I asked where the wicked looked for some traces of his greatness, but he could not be found, as if he had never been there. Verse 37, Mark the blameless man. Mark means watch, observe the blameless man. And observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. That's a blessing from God, peace. Many people look for peace. Anxiety, stress is a common um, illness of these days. So when he said mark, means take note of, pay special attention to. So the instruction of David for the reader is to look at the example of those who are blameless and upright. Blameless doesn't mean without sin and perfect, because no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ has ever been or ever will be perfect. But blameless means 
to sincerely desire and endeavor to please and glorify God. And if you fall, you will repent. Therefore, their concern is only to walk in the commandment of God blamelessly. Also, though the upright may meet with troubles in their way, though their days may be long, dark, and cloudy, yet all shall end well with them. They shall be happy at last, peaceful. They will have peace. Such a man enjoy a peace which passes the understanding of worldly men, as St. Paul told us. Don't be anxious, but with prayer, thanksgiving, and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, surpasses the understanding of the worldly men, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So many good things are in store for the righteous, also after their death. Christians enjoy peace with God. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And by committing their concern to God in prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, they can also enjoy peace of God in their heart and their mind. As St. Paul said, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So, mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. This is a repetition of what he mentioned before. And he he repeated this several times in order not to envy the wicked when you see them prosperous. Because the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The future of the righteous is peace, but the future of the wicked shall be cut off. So, for the sixth and final time in this psalm, David reminds us that the future of the wicked is no future to be desired. They shall be cut off. The transgressors are those who rebel against God's authority. They shall be destroyed, and there would be no exception. Satan was the first rebel against God's rule, as we read in Isaiah 14, verse 14. And ultimately, the devil will be cast into the lake of fire, as we read in Revelation 20:10. To be cut off is to lose eternal life and the blessing that God bestows on the righteous. So while the future of the righteous is peace, the future of the wicked will be cut off destruction. Then the last two verses. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is, God is, there is strength in the time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. And he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So these two verses sum up the teaching of the whole psalm and indicate 
its special object, the object of the soul, which was to encourage and sustain the righteous under their trials. Because as I told you, some righteous, when they suffer and see the prosperity of the wicked, they envy them. So he wants actually to assure them, even those under trial, that they are under special protection of God. Whenever trouble threatened the righteous, God would stand forth as their strength and defense and would ultimately be their salvation. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. So David learned firsthand. David, if you read his story, he faced so many troubles. Many people want to kill him. But God was to David more than able to rescue his life. And not only David, but all his people in the time of trouble. No one was able to kill David, although many wanted to kill him. The Lord always protected him. So the righteous people are safe in Christ. When trials, trials overwhelm us, we need not fret the wicked, but to trust, knowing that God cares for us, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And as David closes out this psalm, David emphasizes once again that the Lord provides for those who follow him. He saves them from evil because of their faith. David himself knew that. This did not mean God guaranteed blessedness or safety for his people always, but deliverance and recovery. As he said, the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Salvation from God is primarily eternal. And this should be the main focus of us. Because they trust in him means they rely on him, not on themselves, not in the riches of the world. This psalm began with an appeal to reject an anxiety on account of evil people. When you see the prosperity of wicked, don't be anxious. And this psalm ended with a celebration of how God can save those who trust in him. It's better to have God for our friend in life and our support in death than to have all the external prosperity of wicked men. Let me conclude by a quote from St. Augustine on the last verse of the psalm. He said, At present, therefore, let the righteous bear with the sinner. Let the wheat, the righteous, bear with the tares. Let the grain, the righteous, bear with the chaff, the sinners. For the time of separation will come, and the good seed shall be set apart from that which is to be consumed with fire. The one will be consigned to the garner, the other to everlasting burning. For it was for this reason that the just and the unjust were at first together, that the one should lay a stumbling block 
that the other should be proved, that afterward the one should be condemned, the other receive akram. This actually concludes Psalm 37. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.